0: If you're just joining us or if you missed last week, tonight is week two in a series we're in called The Fighter, and uh, here's the premise of this series. The premise basically is, what if in your family, what if instead of fighting against your parents and your siblings, you fought for relationships with your parents and your siblings? What if you fought for honor? What if you fought for peace in your family? What if you fought for acceptance with your brothers and sisters? What if you fought for things instead of always fighting against things. That's kind of the premise. And uh, this last weekend, my son, uh, Parker is his name, threw a massive fit and kind of had a meltdown um, this last weekend. Now, if I'm honest, it wasn't just this last weekend, although that's the story I'm going to tell you about. If I'm honest, it really happens every day, about every day. And Leslie would have gobs more stories than I would. See, Parker is two years old. And when you're two years old, none of you even remember being two years old. I don't. But when you're two years old, the world kind of revolves around you, and uh, so for Parker, when he when he wants something, he like wants it, and he wants it now, not in two point five seconds, now, like give it to me now. And Parker, as such, I haven't seen other two year olds like this. You know, I don't know a lot of other kids, but I haven't seen other kids that until you get it, to, give it to him, he will just say it over and over again, repeatedly, with without taking a breath but he constantly wants stuff. And if he doesn't get what he wants, he melts down. And so on Sunday, this was, well, first of all, here are the three things that Parker wants most of all right now, pretty much every waking moment of his life. Number one, watch a movie. And I, I don't know if this is a bad sign of like, Leslie and I don't think we let our kids watch too much TV, but apparently we do. Parker loves movies. And so his favorite thing is Mommy, can I watch a movie? Daddy, can I watch a movie? I watch a movie. I watch a movie. I, I went home for lunch today, and the first thing out of his mouth, I think, was Daddy, debicable Me, is how he said it. Daddy, Debickable Me. And I was like, oh, it's a great movie, but I'm sure he begged Leslie for like hours for that. That's the first thing. Second thing is, Daddy, where my Batman. Constantly right now, it's Daddy, wear my Batman. So he has this Batman outfit. He looks awesome. There's the picture. He has his swords. The sword in his left hand is made out of our vacuum cleaner pipe extension thing, but those are his swords. Daddy, where my Batman? The third thing is, Daddy, have a knack. Daddy, can I have a knack? Parker, you ate lunch 10 minutes ago. I don't care. Daddy, can I have a knack? And so he wants things so badly, but on Sunday afternoon, Parker had, had a meltdown because his mom and I wouldn't let him watch a movie, um, the number one thing. He, he's always watching a movie, and you say, well, why is it so bad? Brad, I'm on the computer a lot. I watch TV a lot. I'm on my phone a lot. What's so bad with watching a movie? What's so bad with looking at a screen? Nothing, unless you're two and you already watched two movies that day. So this weekend, we went to Carney to Leslie's grandparents. We're coming back from Carney And to appease our kids in the car, we watched two movies on the way back to Omaha And so we're home in the afternoon, and he wants to watch a movie again. And I'm just like, it's nice outside. You can go outside and play. So, Parker, another movie is not the answer. And as all of you you in here know this, because your parents have taught you well, I'm really, really trying to teach our kids legitimately that looking at a screen rots your brain away. I mean, I try to tell them that. Rots your brain cells, doesn't it? You're like, what? I, I thought I was taught that if you read books... It helps brain cells grow, but as you look at a screen, it actually rots your brain away. I'm not serious, but I'm trying to teach my kids that so that they'll watch less TV. And so he's two. He doesn't understand. I so badly, you guys, wanted Parker to see my perspective, to understand where I'm coming from. I would love to let you watch a movie, but bro, you already watched two today, and there's other things you can do with your time. Life does not revolve around watching movies, but he's two, and that's a lot for a two-year-old to understand as you can imagine. So the conflict remains in the Zook house. So here we are. If you missed last week, last week we talked about how all families fight. All families fight. Every person in this room, at some point in your life, you have had a conflict with a parent. Could be old, could be young. Every one of you in here has, have had a conflict with your parent. It may, it may have come out out loud in a A yelling match. Again, we talked last week. You might fight hot. Maybe you fight cold. Maybe your conflict was never voiced because you stuffed it deep down inside. You've never talked to your parents about that. But everybody has conflicts with their families. And did you know that pretty much all fights with our parents boil down to one issue? And I'm serious. Pretty much all fights with our parents boil down to one issue. We fight about different things. I understand you all You have different disagreements over different things. But at the root, at the bottom, when you really boil it down, almost every fight you've ever had is about the same thing that my son and I kind of fought with, fought about on Sunday. And it's this. We fight because we aren't getting our way. And that's not rocket science, but we fight because we aren't getting our way. So every conflict basically comes down to perspective. Your parents see things one way, but you see things a totally different way and in that moment your perspective is in conflict with their perspective and you want to challenge it and so you argue or, can I go to this thing Friday night can I go to the game can I go to this party and they say no but you want to so badly so what do you do i mean a lot of times it's maybe not over a, something so trivial as a movie but a lot of times you guys you know this it is it's over very trivial stuff. Some of you guys have gotten into knockdown drag-out fights with your parents over the most ridiculous stuff, like the, the tiniest little thing, right? It's almost always over small stuff. This stuff works in your marriage too. You would like leaders who are married, you fight over the tiniest things. You squeeze the toothpaste from the middle of the tube and not the end of the tube. A lot of conflict comes down to perspective. Your mom, for example, again, your mom just wants you to clean the room. I said last week I set the table. Your mom wants you to come set the table. Your mom wants you to come eat, but you're having a conversation, a text conversation with a friend on your phone, and your mom wants you to get off your phone, but you're like, this conversation's important. So what do you do? We argue over perspective, and that's true in any relationship. So here's the question. Here's the question. Why is that? Like, why... Why do we need to have our way so badly? I mean, why is that? It's just in us to do that, isn't it? There's just something in us that says, yeah, but I really want to go to that party. How could you say no to that, Mom? I really want to have this phone conversation. Parker says, I really, really want to watch a movie. How could you say no to that? Why is that? Well, as you probably expected coming here tonight, The Bible addresses this issue, as it always seems to when we're at Oasis. But in the New Testament book of James, we're going to be in the book of James tonight. If you have a Bible, you can go ahead and start to turn there. The book of James is a letter written by a guy named James. Now, if you didn't know this, and maybe i have mentioned it before at Oasis, James is the half-brother of Jesus. Did you know this? James is the half-brother of Jesus. Think about that as a side note. I know everyone kind of, like, mentions this. But if you think you have a hard time growing up with step siblings or half siblings, imagine if Jesus was your half brother, like James. Can you imagine that? It would never be Jesus' fault. Jesus was perfect. How would you you despise your half brothers or your step brothers and sisters already? Maybe, but what if your half brother was perfect? A dad comes home to the little one room house in Nazareth and is like, "Oh yeah, did some somebody broke the, broke the like grinding mill again or the grinding stone? Were you guys playing?" dodge rock in the house, and James goes, Jesus did it, and dad goes, no way, Jesus is perfect, and you're like, dang it, hate Jesus, which in fact, get this, you guys, all throughout most of the the four gospels in the New Testament, James was not following Jesus, didn't believe he was the Messiah, didn't believe he was the Son of God, makes sense, right, grew up with the guy, didn't know about the miraculous conception through Mary, can you, I mean, so James growing up, I mean, there's a number of times in the Gospels, Jesus' family was against his mission on the earth. But then get this, later on, um, Jesus picks James as one of the select few individuals that he appears to after his resurrection. Now, again, if you're a skeptic about the Bible, I mean, look, look, Jesus, he predicts his own death and resurrection and then pulls it off. Do you think that would convince somebody? I think it would, and it convinced James. And so Jesus appears to James and later on, James goes on to be um, basically the ruler of the, the whole church of Jerusalem. Um, and he, goes, he, he, starts, he starts this letter written to Jews all over the, the area of Asia, but he starts it by saying, James, a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's my half-brother, but now I'm a servant of my master, Jesus the Savior, that's how he starts his letter. So I love the book of James. And I know many of you have re- read most of the book of James, read all of the book of James. It's so practical. It's so easy to understand. And there's a great, great section here in chapter 4. So look at chapter 4 where he writes about fighting. He writes about conflict. And the whole book of James is so, so practical. But this is awesome. Here's what he says. James chapter 4. I'm going to read verses 1 through, th- one through 3. And uh, these are on the screen. So if you don't have a Bible, but follow along. James writes this. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You want something, but you don't get it. You kill and covet, but you can't have what you want. You quarrel and fight. You do not have because you don't ask God. And when you ask, you don't receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You guys, James makes this so clear. Like, why do we fight? Why do we have conflict? Why do we, why do we argue? Because we have desires battling within us. Again, that's not rocket science. We already kind of said that. We have desires battling within us. Why do we fight? We just want our way really badly. I mean, he basically says that's where they come from. But it's always perspective. Your desires conflict with somebody else's desires, and boom, you have tension. You have conflict. You have friction. And you got to resolve that. We think always our way will make us the most happy and bring us the most pleasure. I mean, if you look in these just three verses, don't they come from your desires? You, 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 you want, but you can't have. It's all about you. And it ends by saying, you ask with wrong motives. Why? So you can spend what you get on your pleasure. That's why we fight. Because our way makes us more happy, right? We think it'll make us more happy. But most of the time, especially after a fight, it never really pays off, does it? It never really satisfies. It never really brings that pleasure that we think it's going to. So, what does James say is the solution to this? Because he doesn't end there. What does he say is the solution to this? Skip down a paragraph if you have your Bibles open and look at, look at verse 7. When he really gets to it, James says this. He says, This is the solution. He says, Submit yourselves then to God. Submit yourself or surrender yourself to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. I love that part, even. James basically says by mentioning bringing Satan into this, he says, When you fight, when you argue, when you quarrel, I'm sure that's your desires within you. But I think he's also saying right here, Satan has a role in that. Satan loves to see you guys fight with your parents, fight with your siblings. He's all over that. He wants to see that continue. And so James says, resist the devil. But he, primarily he's saying, he says, submit to God. Surrender to God. Now, what does that look like? What does surrendering to God look like in relationship with you and your parents? You and your home life. Well, I put it like this, and I want you to write this down, or at least this is maybe already on your outline if you grabbed an outline. So fill in the blanks. When you turn your hearts towards your parents, it turns your relationship towards God. When you turn your heart toward your parents, it turns your relationship towards God. Now, why do I make that connection? Well, in order, when you surrender to God, when you submit to God, that also means surrendering to your parents. They are the God-given authority over you. I know your parents may say things that are unfair and do things that are unfair and put expectations on you that are unfair, but they are the authority over you. And as we said last week, you can't change them. The responsibility you have is in how you react to them. When you turn your hearts towards your parents, it turns your relationship towards God. So now what does it mean to turn your heart towards your parents? Well, it means this. Here's a couple things. It means to be concerned about them, to actually maybe care about their perspective or why they're saying what they're saying. It means to consider their interests. It means to care for their needs. It means to elevate their well-being above your own. It means to prioritize your relationship with them over other less important things. Quite simply, it's like saying this, mom and dad, I want what you want because I want a relationship with you more than I want to win this fight. And so mom, dad, stepdad, when I'm fighting with you, I want what you want. I want what you want more than I want this thing that I think I need so badly, more than I want to go to that party on Friday night, more than I want a specific car or new clothes or or a late night out. I want what you want for me. And I hope, mom and dad, and I trust that you aren't giving me a rule or you're not giving me a no just so you can lord it over me, just so you can power up over me. I'm trusting that you're older and wiser and you actually know what's best for me. And so I want what you want. All those things are important to me, but I value, again, I value our relationship more than I value this thing. And that means that what you think and say and feel in need is important, and it, it trumps what I want. And this is huge when it comes to fighting with our parents. It's huge, um, or fights with anyone for that matter. I mean, a lot of this stuff, you guys, we're applying it to families tonight and in this series, but this applies to any conflict you have with anybody. When you're not getting what you want, there's disagreement, and Think about this. What is our default? When you get into a fight, a conflict with anyone, our natural tendency is to turn our hearts where? To ourselves. To ourselves. We're thinking about me. We're thinking about trying to persuade, trying to defend. That's why we always get defensive. That's why we push our side. That's why we say, you're not listening to me. Our agenda almost always by default is how can I win? How can I convince you? How can I get you to stop talking? Unless you fight cold, and then it's like, I'm going to stay silent longer than you stay silent. And heck, we might not talk for three days. I don't care, but I'm going to beat you with this silent game. And we just do that, but we're always turning it into ourselves. How can I get even? How can I show my parents that I think they're idiots? You're like, in high school, I mean, I said this last week, we think we're we're like, oh, my dad is so dumb, but he's not. But we think that in high school. In college, we start to go, I think my dad's pretty smart. We start to call him up every once in a while. See, turning your heart to yourself, it's a pretty good strategy if you're in a knife fight or you're on the debate team. It's a pretty good strategy. Why? Because you're in a knife fight and you've got to defend yourself or you're going to die, right? Now, sometimes arguments with your mom maybe feel like knife fights, but it's a, it's a great strategy if you're in a knife fight. It's a horrible strategy if you want to grow your relationship with mom or dad or stepdad. Some of you, stepdad's pretty new. Stepmom is pretty new. You don't really know stepmom that well. Stepmom has kids. That's been tough. It's a horrible strategy if you want to heal a relationship, fix a relationship, further a relationship. Have you ever noticed how in fights with your parents, sometimes the arguments can keep going on for hours, even days? Like I said, more so that's the silent treatment. You can't keep up the rage and the, the hot stuff. But the cold stuff, you can stay silent. You glare at them all the time. Um, there's very rarely compromise or agreement. You, you just, there's usually not a lot of resolution sometimes. People walk away feeling hurt rather than feeling heard. Or how about this? Even when you win, it doesn't feel like you won. Like you finally get to your side, but you're just like, this is bad. This is real bad. We yelled at each other. I said that to her, she said that to me, and maybe I won, but that stunk. See, we're, we fight wrong almost all the time. You guys as high school students, you're practicing now with your parents what you will fulfill so, so often when you get married. And I don't know what the stats are, but I guarantee you, I mean, I'd say probably 70% of you in here will get married someday. You will find a spouse and you will be in a marriage and you will learn to deal with conflict. You're practicing now what that's going to look like. See, I think God, through James and his his letter, is saying, I want something better for you when you fight. I want something better for you. I want you to submit and to surrender to God first and then to your parents. What if actually at some point in the argument you actually turned your heart toward your stepdad. You actually turned your heart toward your mom and said, "You know what? I'm just going to listen. I'm going to listen to what she has to say to me. You say you're important to me. I value you, mom. And so I don't understand exactly why you're saying this, but I want to listen. I want to fix this. You are important to me and I care about our relationship." Um that's how you start to fight with your parents. You actually listen. You actually care about Again, the relationship. You fight fair. You hear what they're saying. Sure, hopefully they give you a chance to say your point of view. And then maybe like, maybe you even have, you could list your reasons. I don't know. But at the end of the conflict, they're the authority over you. And so surrendi- surrendering to your parents is the key. Now, um, here's two things. I think this is on your outline. When you turn your heart towards your parents or step-parents, two things happen. Two things happen. The first one is this. You protect your relationship. You protect your relationship. You protect it from further harm. You protect it from a whole a line of regret down the road. Many of you maybe know you have an aunt or an uncle who no longer talk to your grandparents or something. Maybe your parents don't talk to their parents. I don't know. But you, you maybe know you have a friend, somebody that has a has a really bad relationship with their parents because of some conflict at one point. So you protect your relationship. You guys, God wants you to have awesome relationships with your parents. And the high school years could be some of the best years of your life if you don't, like, fight against them so hard, if you would just listen to what they have to say. God wants you to have great relationships with your parents, um, and He wants to heal them, and He wants, wants to make them better. So, number one, to protect your relationships. Number two, you will actually enjoy God more you enjoy God more. When you turn your heart to your parents and honor your relationship with them, um, it may not always make your circumstances better. You still might get grounded. You still might get a no answer, and that doesn't change. But you will be able to enjoy God because you know that you're honoring God in your actions. You're honoring God in your behavior. Look at this, verse 8 in James 4. This is just where we started, same chapter. James writes this. He writes, Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Now, that doesn't mean God's passive, but God doesn't force himself on any of us. And so God is always there, but it says when you go to God, he's there waiting for you. He wants you to come to him. And honoring your parents, listening to your parents, submitting to your parents is the best way to do that. So you will enjoy God more. So guys, tonight, this is the main thing. Be the fighter in your family when it comes to relationships with your parents. Turn, when you turn your hearts to your parents, you'll turn your relationship toward God. So my challenge for you is to try this at least one time in the next week or whenever the next time is that you have a fight with your parents. And at least one argument or one fight or mo- one moment when you're not getting your way, turn your heart to your parents. Now here's four things I'm going to give you to try doing, okay? Four things. Number one, start listening. I already already said that probably three times. Pause long enough to actually hear what your parents are trying to say to you. Start listening. When you're in the heat of the conflict, I understand that everything in you wants to completely shut out anything they say. All you're trying to do is get your point across. And again, I know that parents don't fight fair sometimes either. And so should they listen to you? Yeah, maybe. But again, you need to listen to them first or you can listen to them first. Number two, point out one thing that you agree with. Okay, now that sounds crazy, doesn't it? But point out one thing that they say that you agree with. Find one part of what they're saying, and at least say, acknowledge to them, that makes sense, Dad. Okay, I got you. That makes sense. Um, You still might not fully agree with their final decision, but point out one thing and mean it. Say, okay, I understand, Dad. I understand that you're concerned about this party. That makes sense to me. There will probably be crazy people there. Period. I understand that. And maybe suddenly even in your mind you go, you know what? There really will be crazy people there. And I don't want that guy like looking at me. And I don't want that guy touching me. And Maybe I shouldn't go to that party. Maybe my dad's right. But, it, I, you know, again, you might, not, you might not need to win the argument. You might not agree with their final decision. But agree with one thing that makes sense that they say, that comes with the listening. Number three, if your words are causing more harm than good, stop talking. Stop talking. If your words are causing more harm than good, stop talking. You, like, you guys, I've heard stories from a couple of your parents. And you're like, are you serious? Oh, no. Some of you say really rotten things to your parents. And again, some of that because, is because the language you just have in your vocab is not great, and it's not uplifting, and it helps no one all day at school. And it's easy to turn that off when you come to Oasis, but you will like, when it gets into a yelling match with your mom or dad, it gets ugly. So if your words are causing more harm than good, just stop talking. The silent treatment is so much better, I think, than a, what we called hot, fighting hot last week, just... Yelling, screaming, slamming doors, punching walls. It will, it will mean more to them that you win their trust than to make your point. So if it, if it means not making your point, don't make your point. Just keep your mouth shut. And then finally, number four, set aside your right to be right. Set aside your right to be right. Which again means that the relationship trumps the argument. The relationship trumps the fight and the conflict. And so surrender your right to win. Who cares? It's over the toothpaste. Maybe it's not, but it's not over anything probably very significant. Now, here's the thing. Before I end, um, here's the greatest objection. You know, maybe some of you listen to this, and you hear this, and maybe I've convinced some of you, but here's the greatest objection. And I, I feel you on this. Some of you in here, again, I said this last week, but you, you say, Brad, you don't know my parents. And I think, sadly, I don't. You, you would say, Brad, my, my dad makes me feel so small. Brad, my parents put so many expectations on me I can barely keep it together. I'm in so many different things and they keep pushing me to do more and to do better. And why are you not, why are you not getting straight A's? And why do you not have a 4.0? And I can't, Brad, I, it's so much. I used to like it. Now it's just hard. And I don't know how I'm going to get everything done and I'm going to start to cut corners. Um, you say, Brad, my parents yell at me a lot and I honestly don't think I've done stuff wrong. And I don't. I'm, I'm. I have no comeback for that. I hurt with you for that. I remember one time my dad came in and accused me. He found beer bottles in our backyard, and I missed it. I, I said last week I delivered papers. I totally went out, got my bike out of the shed, and left. Didn't even see this stuff. He totally thought it was me. I never. I mean, I. You guys. I went through all high school. I never touched alcohol once. But I was like, wow. Ouch. And just went off. Maybe you get accused of things. Maybe you get yelled at. Maybe it's like those words I was talking about, you get that from your parents more than you ever give to them. So there's, there's objections, and that's, that's, that's hard, and I wish I could give this talk to your parents too, some of you. And so here's the thing, you don't need another to-do tonight. Maybe all this stuff falls on deaf ears because you go, you just don't know my parents, Brad, and I'll try, and I hope you know that this will still help, even a little bit of this, of listening, of submitting, maybe you wouldn't get in trouble to begin with if you, I don't know. But here's what you need. You probably need a couple just some good news to wash over you. And so here are three passages real quick. I just picked these out. These just kind of came into my mind this week, and so here's three things. Maybe write down one of these. Matthew 11: 28 and 29. I read this in my quiet time yesterday. I'm just going through Matthew right now. Jesus says this. I love these two verses. Jesus says, "Come to me, all you who are weary." and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. You guys, that's, that's so like crucial to what Jesus came to bring. Jesus did, if, you're, if your view of Christianity is that it's all about rules and regulations and doing more, Jesus is saying, I want to give you rest. I want to set you free I just noticed yesterday, somewhere in John, Jesus says, if you have sin, and we all do, he says, you're a slave to it. You're enslaved to sin. And Jesus says, I want to set you free. I want to give you rest. Here's a second one, Romans 5.8. Romans 5.8, many of you maybe have this memorized. But God, but God, demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Two verses later in verse 10, it says, while we were yet his enemies, He did this. It's a it's a vicious cycle. I talked about this with a small group I was in last week. It's a vicious cycle. Your parents say hurtful words to you, and you say hurtful words to them, and then they say hurtful words to you, and they discipline you, and then you hate them more, and then you you rebel against them more. Something has to break the cycle, and he's the guy that did it. That Jesus, while we were yet his enemies, said, "I'm going to break the cycle. I'm not going to repay them what they deserve." I'm not going to give them karma. I'm going to give them grace. We talked about that last series. Final one, 1 Peter 3, 18. This is an amazing verse stuck in this obscure like whole passage about suffering, which is awesome. But 1 Peter 3, it says, For Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous to bring you to God. It really goes along with the Romans verse. He died for sins once for all. Christ took your place, the righteous dying for the unrighteous. We are the unrighteous, to bring us to God. That's why he did it. When you're in the middle of a fight, if you just need some love, just think about one of these verses. I mean, you guys, I literally have said to myself before, I don't feel loved right now. But Jesus, I know that you love me so much that you you died for me. You took my punishment. You took hell for me. My sin and rebellion deserves hell. And you took that for me. God, why? I love you. Thank you. And even though I don't feel loved by this person right now or by my dad right now, Jesus, you fill me with so much love. And that's what you got to do. You got to tell yourself that. So maybe one of those three, write those down. Maybe memorize that verse this week, but go to that. That is how you can turn your heart to your parents. And I'm telling you, God is telling you, you guys, maybe this is just what you needed to hear tonight. And God is telling you, this could make such a difference in your life with your relationships, with your parents. And I'm telling you, if you turn your heart towards your parents, not only will it make your relationship with them better, it's probably the number one thing that you can do to help them turn their hearts toward God. And that, more than anything else, is probably what your family needs. It's what your parents need. Many of your parents aren't Christians. They need Jesus too. They don't need religion. They desperately need Jesus. And you can do that. They can go, what's what's wrong? You never fought like that before. He'd always swear at me before. What what happened to you? So when you turn your heart to your parents, it turns your relationship toward God. You guys, be the fighter. You go, is that my parents' responsibility? Maybe, but if they're not doing it, it's your job. You can do it. You take responsibility for what you're going to do. You guys, be the fighter in your family. All right, let's pray. God, I know for every one of us in here, God, this land's... In a hundred different places for each one of us. God, each one of our families are different. Each one of our families fight different. But Jesus, we need the truth of what we heard tonight. We need the truth of your word. God, even the simple reminder that we all know intuitively, but God, we need to be reminded tonight that our fighting, it starts in our hearts. God, for me, it starts with a selfish heart. It starts because I want stuff more than I want what the other person wants. And I need to let that go. It never makes me happy anyway. It never ultimately helps me out anyway. But God, the relationship should trump the fight always. And so God, would you give us the grace tonight to be the fighter in our families? God, give us the courage to do what we need to do with what we've heard tonight. Give us the courage to do it. Give us the courage to fight against parents who maybe are very, very unfair. But God, you call us to do it and you empower us to do it. And God, through the cross, you give us the capacity to stand up under it that God, because of the cross, we can stand there and we can take whatever our parents give us because Jesus, you went to the cross for us. You took away the, the punishment of sin and death. and Hell, everything, God. You paid the price for us and you love us so much. God, we need that. We need that to break these cycles, the, to break the cycle of fighting in our families. God, we love you and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.